Welcome back to the T and Lee Show. I'm here with Liam. Liam, how you doing, buddy? I'm all right. Just trying to squeeze every last drop out of that NFL season as it slowly is evaporating away and really has already come to a close. How are you? I'm feeling good. As we discussed beforehand, I crushed like four different servings of buffalo chicken throughout the day, so I'm feeling good. That's awesome. I, I love buffalo chicken. I have been munching on it all week from Sunday to Monday. I even went and bought a little buffalo chicken spread from the store and I've been putting it on my sandwiches this week when I go to work. Just can't get enough. I love it. All right, let's go over this electrifying game, the halftime show, which was hot stuff and just everything about the Super Bowl. So, Liam, I'm just going to go through the first half and a couple of quick things, and then I want to hear your reactions from everything. In the first half of this game, everyone had some nerves. KC went three and out, and the 49ers muffed the punt. Jimmy G threw a crazy interception in the first half where he was trying to throw the ball away, but it just went right into the arms of a defender. Shanahan took an interesting decision with a minute 50 left on the clock and didn't call timeout. Now, retrospectively, it might have worked out if the P.I. on George Kittle wasn't called. That was questionable, but it kind of just, if he used a timeout, maybe he could have overcome that P.I., but instead they go into the half 10-10. In the second half, Jimmy was looking a little shaky. He missed Kittle on an open throw. Mahomes threw two interceptions, and... Then the fourth quarter happened, and Mahomes starts the comeback, and Chiefs just dig right back into it. They take the lead. And then I was sitting watching this game with my dad, and he was mentioning how this is a total Brady scenario. You know, it's the parallels are too perfect. Two minutes, 44 seconds left on the clock, three timeouts, down four in the Super Bowl. Now, this is a little unfair because he hasn't been in this spot before in Garoppolo. But it is easy to make those ties with the pass connection. And at the end of the day, the Chiefs win, and Mahomes is the youngest player to win a Super Bowl MVP. Liam, what did you think of this game? And then we'll get into the extracurriculars with halftime shows and all all this other lovely stuff from the Super Bowl. I thought it was a, a good game overall. It had some excitement. It had some excellent effort and excellent execution at times on every side of both teams. But overall, what I am taking away the most is Mahomes and how he has just blossomed in the last 40, 24 months, really. He's just been very impressive, very cool under pressure. Even when it's a snowball of mistakes, really, through the first three and a half quarters, he just bounces right back and showed unbelievable resolve, I thought. As you mentioned, he is the youngest Super Bowl MVP ever. He's 24. I believe the youngest before this was 27. So it's, it's pretty impressive what he's done in his first two seasons. Well, three seasons, the first two seasons as a starter. For me, uh, one thing I do want to kind of point out is that through the media and through a lot of the general public, there's been a lot of blame placed on the 49ers, Kyle Shanahan, Jimmy G, a lot of criticism. And I think that to a certain degree, it's fair to criticize them, but I think that most of the credit should be given to the winning team, the team that won the game and didn't lose it, and that's the Chiefs. One thing that I have a hard time kind of 
processing is how most of the media leading up to the Super Bowl were just so unbelievably impressed and supportive of Kyle Shanahan calling him a genius in every basket. Just same, same goes, I guess, for, for Jimmy G. Just so supportive and really impressed with how he's developed. And then one bad eight-minute stretch, and all of a sudden the media is just ripping Shanahan to pieces, saying that Jimmy G, needs, they need to move on from Jimmy G already. It's just the overreaction are driving me up a wall, to be honest. I think that Kyle Shanahan had an unbelievable season, and he coached a good playoff run and just not a complete Super Bowl. He's young. He still is not that experienced as a coach, a head coach, that is. I think he has a long way to grow, and as a young coach, he can't, like, they can't be all blamed on him. It can't be all blamed on Jimmy G, who is not, who's barely been a starter for two seasons. So I, I, I think most of the credit has to go to the Kansas City Chiefs. You know, we, we talked last week about how the 49ers want to try to get Pat Mahomes and the Chiefs offense out of third sorts. They want to win first and second down. And they did that the whole game. And the 49ers actually even did that during the comeback, forcing Mahomes into a third and 15 with seven minutes left on his 35. Yet he was still just too clutch. And he and Tyreek Hill connected for almost 50 yards. So the 49ers did almost everything right. Was at the very end, they just didn't quite close the deal. But I think the Chiefs need to get the credit here. Yeah, I agree. And, and with your point, it's just for people who are in media, it's just it's not an entertaining story if you're like, well, the 49ers had a good game plan and then they just kind of fell apart. But they're still going to be good. It's just it's more entertaining if you're like these guys stink. They're terrible. They blew it. They're choke artists. That's what uh, that's what gets the the clicks going instead of what we should do more often, which is taking the more median approach. That's a good point. Outside of the game, the halftime show, it was electric to say the least. When I was watching it, it was just, it's, it's crazy to believe that Shakira and J-Lo are in their 50s. They looked really, really good. And it was a very interesting dynamic because my grandfather loves Shakira and we were making jokes all week long leading up to that halftime show. We weren't sure what's going to happen. But he was able to keep it cool. But it was it was a great show. And when they started shaking their booty to side by side, it, it, that was that was a knockout punch. If I if I could say so myself. Did you, how'd you like the halftime show? I think this was one of the better ones I have seen in recent years. I completely agree. It was very impressive from their performance. I thought the dancers alongside them for both. Uh, Jennifer Lopez and Shakira were very impressive. It was all the timing, the whole performance in general was just so well detail-oriented. Even I was impressed by little small details like what has now become a meme, Shakira going up, sticking her face in front of the camera and like shaking her head going that is an homage to some I, I, I don't want to get it wrong, but it's an homage to something is unique their background. I think one of her parents' background that some sort of unique, something unique to that culture, as well as there were a couple dance moves that were unique to a certain aspect of Colombia where she was born. Uh, so yeah, I, I they were so so detail oriented down to the millisecond all the way through the show. I was very impressed. 
with everything all together. I thought, you know, honestly, that was probably the best Super Bowl halftime show I've ever seen in my short life so far. Yeah. I mean, unfortunately, we didn't get to see the Janet Jackson performance or the Prince performance, but those would have been memorable as well. Now, I want to quickly hit on some commercials. What were your favorite commercials? In our previous podcast, you talked about the NFL one, and that was the Take It to the House pre-Super Bowl. It wasn't really a commercial, but the video. What did you think of that? And I really liked the Doritos Old Town Road commercial. I thought that was great, but... What was your favorite commercial? I think being biased, maybe this isn't even biased, but the Boston accent one was by far the best commercial that I saw. Yeah, I was pleasantly surprised by that. Uh, I heard a little kind of rumbling about some sort of Boston accent one, but I thought it was very well done by those three. And then gave her to make a cool appearance. I thought it was very funny. Of the NFL 100 tickets to the house one where they led right into the, the kids running right off of the field live. I thought that was pretty cool. Lived up the hype. And I also, you mentioned this one, but the Josh Jacobs one was really cool. I mean, he has, he's quite the inspirational story from when he was homeless as a younger kid to an unbelievable rookie year. Honestly, he's probably robbed of offensive rookie of the year this year. I really, really respect him. So I really like that commercial. Great. And so here's some kind of funny things I noticed, but this is so ridiculous. But the Madden curse is broken. Mahomes has broken the Madden curse. He was on the cover and he was able to win the Super Bowl. From now on, if you're on the cover of Madden, you don't need to worry. So you could take a deep sigh of relief. Now, during the game, I don't know if you noticed this, but the touchdown graphics, the cartoon graphics, those were really strange. I didn't like them at all. And the whole graphics package that Fox had, it just kind of threw me off. It wasn't the same thing I was used to. And it took me a second to figure out what was going on. And it's the Super Bowl. I get you want to do something new, but I also want to keep my same old, same old. You know, I want to have my, my, I want to be steady with my graphics. I completely agree. I also think that it added almost like a video game artificial nature to it. And they didn't give it the authenticity that you want out of a Super Bowl. So I completely agree. Also, some guys just didn't have touchdown graphics when other guys did. So if it's something that they're going to do, why not have one for everyone? I don't know. It was very strange. It seemed quite forced. Yeah, they probably just were They were paying the artists, and they were like, uh, do you think that Juszczyk will score? Nah, man. We're, I, I don't even know if that's the right example. But that was just the first one I could think of. He didn't have one. Oh, he did it? Oh, wow. Awesome. <laughs> that was a complete guess. Liam, how did you feel calling what color Gatorade would get co- poured on the game-winning coach? That must have felt great. The Gatorade color was orange, and you said it was. You spoke it into existence. That must have felt great. Well, it feels great in some ways. Also, kind of bittersweet because I should have told someone that they should bet on that, and maybe they would have won something because I can't do that myself. But... It, it does feel good. Complete shot in the dark. It's fine. I'll take it. You got to take your wins where you can. Now, I'm going to hit two quick things. At, one quick thing, and then I'm going to ask you a quick question. So, there was an all-time bad beat. If you were watching probably SVP, he would have this on his bad beat show. But the line for Mahomes rushing yards was 35.5. If you had the over, you lost that bet because Mahomes lost 15 yards kneeling the ball to try and kill some more clock. So he finished with 29 rushing yards. So if you had that, if you only lost maybe like two or three on his kneel downs, you would have had the over, but you lost because of 
him trying to take a little extra clock off. Pour one out for all the gamblers who had the over there. And Liam, one last Super Bowl question. What is your favorite Super Bowl food? What is your plate look like? What do you like to eat during the Super Bowl? Well, if the year was the food, which I guess it is in some cultures, and this might be one of them, then that would probably be it. But if not, probably not the direction that we're looking for with this answer. So I'm going to have to stay honest that we, what we talked about at the top, and that's buffalo chicken, buffalo chicken dip, really. Mm. might be my favorite food. If it is a food, it's just perfect, and it's everything I want out of a Super Bowl snack slash meal. It, it covers the whole nine yards in my mind. What about you? Yeah, but I mean... It's just the amount of chicken that I'm ready to consume during Super Bowl is just unparalleled. My mom makes a buffalo chicken dip. That's the highlight. And then we get some chicken wings and we throw some other stuff in there. And it's just it's just a great time. And you have a beer. It's just it's just football heaven when you have those kind of snacks and you're just feeling good about life. All right. Anything Absolutely. else you want to hit? I, I do have I, I do have a one kind of honorable mention, and that's probably pigs in a blanket. Oh, pretty good for a Super Bowl. That's Sunday. a sleeper. Pigs in a blanket is delicious. Yeah, that's not bad. Do you like it with ketchup or barbecue sauce? Ooh, I've actually never had it with barbecue sauce. I like it with ketchup. I also like it with mustard. Like Ooh. whether it's a spicy mustard or a honey mustard, I've had it with those. I've yeah, never it goes had well it. with all of those. And I definitely need to try it with barbecue sauce though. But it, that's a good call. You should try it. All right, that is uh that is food talk with <laughs> Timor Liam. Time to switch gears. So today is the 6th of February. The NBA trade deadline has ended, and all the trades are in. Now, Liam, you thankfully got a bunch of different tweets from Woj. We're going to go over the biggest trades because there's a lot of different trades, and these are the ones that mean the most. Do you want to read them, or do you want me to read them? Yeah, I can quickly roll through them. So this is basically us just going through Woj's Twitter feed for the last... 30 hours or so. But going back to February 5th at 12.18 a.m., we had the news breaking about the Robert covington Clint Capella trade that was actually a four-team trade involving 12 players and was the most polarizing, and if you go by numbers, with 12 players and four teams, the biggest trade overall, actually, in 20 years in the NBA, which is kind of crazy. So Houston received Robert Covington, Jordan Bell, in an Atlanta 2024 second-round pick. Atlanta received Clint Capella and Nene, two inside players. Minnesota, who was all over the place over the last 30 hours, received Malik Beasley, Juancho Hernan Gomez, Evan Turner, Jared Vanderbilt, and an Atlanta first-round pick. The Nuggets received a first-round pick. Shabazz Napier, database Diop, he's a Buckeye, I love him. Noah Von Lee and Gerald Green. So that's the blockbuster 14 trade. Now, looking back on that, if we kind of take a quick look at this, what, any initial thoughts on that trade? Any winner that you see? That is a good question. I mean, I think the biggest part of that is for the Rockets and the Atlanta Hawks. I think that the biggest impact is on those teams. So for Houston, it's really interesting where they're going to go. Lately, they've been playing really well with a small ball, but they're going to not have a lot of size. And when you're going to go up against the Lakers, that's going to really go against you with LeBron, AD, 
and Kyle Kuzma, who are all tall guys who all kind of play the same position. I think if the Rockets are aiming to play the Lakers, I think they have a big size mismatch. I'm not sure if that'll matter in the playoffs. We will see. And then for Atlanta, they get a center that they've been looking for, another young piece to put around Trey Young. And we'll see how he's able to fit in. I think it'll be an easier transition because Trey Young and James Harden both have the ball a lot. So I don't think Capella will have to transition too much to having a pass first point guard and and Trey Young. It's kind of a similar situation for him. That would be my biggest takeaway from that trade. Yeah, I love it. I love that you mentioned the Houston Lakers potential matchup because here we are recording on February 6th, a Thursday night, and it'll be interesting to watch tonight as actually the game just tipped off. The Rockets are actually playing the Lakers, so I'm really curious to see how Houston approaches those Lakers tonight with their small ball approach. Will they just play P.J. Tucker from the tip as the five? I, I really don't know. That'll be interesting to watch. Two other things that I wanted to add on were, one, I think Malik Beasley, who's been kind of buried in Denver, is ready to take a big step forward. And I think that he's going to really flourish in Minnesota where he has a bigger role. And also, I'm really curious to see if Robert Covington in Houston will live up to what he was traded for because the t- these other teams got a lot for him. I mean, he was, it was a haul. The Houston had to kind of give up a lot more than I, at least I would have anticipated for him. So, yeah, that, those are my takeaways. Really curious to see. Honestly, I think for me, if I had to pick a winner out of this, I think it might be Minnesota. But... I mean, Covington was going to leave anyway, so that's just kind of my initial thought. We'll move forward to the next big trade. We're going through five of the major trades, so this is the second of those five major trades. So this was initially a two-team trade, and it actually became a three-team trade because of one other wrinkle that was added later. But it was the Grizzlies receiving Justice Winslow, Dion Waiters, and Gory Jeng, the Heat receiving Andre Iguodala, Solomon Hill, and Jay Crowder, and Minnesota, once again involved in a trade, involved James Johnson. So really the highlight here is Iggy being brought back to life, apparently, uh, to come play for a team that's going to be potentially in the playoffs. Kimo, what was your reaction to this trade? Yeah, I mean, this will help the Heat in the playoffs, theoretically. Andre Iguodala hasn't played since the finals of last year, I believe. It's just, I this is kind of a risky move. I mean, I mean, I know the Heat aren't all in like some other teams, so it's not the. I don't think this deal is that impactful for their future. I think it'll give them a chance to make a run in the East, where there's a big question of who's going to be able to make it because I think these East teams are really close. Iguodala is able to help them. You know, this is a good trade, but I'm skeptical of his impact on this Miami Heat team, but I am sure he will prove me wrong, but I'm, I'm just a little skeptical of it. Yeah, I agree. I'm, I'm going to have to see it to believe it. For me, I'm really impressed with what Memphis is doing. And I guess they're going to not keep Beyond Waiters, so out of this, they're really keeping Justice Winslow and Bowie Jang, which if you look at their ages, they are sticking with their common team, and they want young pieces to add to a young core, and they both kind of fit into the gritty tough-minded young cores they already have. So I really like what Memphis is doing. I think if their their young pieces continue to develop, they'll be potential dynasty in the West and the force to be reckoned with. But uh, we'll, we'll move forward to the third trade, or the third blockbuster trade. And this one 
there was a lot of speculation about D'Angelo Russell and then he gets traded and then boom, it happened less than two hours before the deadline. So Minnesota received D'Angelo Russell, Jacob Evans, and Omari Spellman. And Golden State received Andrew Wiggins, a 2021 first-round pick, and a 2021 second-round pick. Timor, what are your thoughts here in this blockbuster trade? Yeah, this is another interesting. I mean, how the heck is Minnesota going to have all these players? Their their roster is going to be so deep. I don't understand. Like, if they show up to an arena, they're going to just have to have extra chairs to fit all these guys. That is a complete inside. But Minnesota Timberwolves obviously really wanted D'Angelo Russell. This is good for them. Wiggins is a guy that... For the Warriors, I think if they can kind of mold him with their system and their leadership, I think he can potentially have really big impact for them. And I, they didn't really need D'Angelo Russell with Clay Thompson and Steph Curry. So this is a, a look into the future. I hope for Andrew Wiggins that he'll be able to show some more heart and the Warriors will be able to kind of mold him into a better player. I'm also a bit skeptical of that because he's not been living up to his potential in Minnesota. But if if there's anywhere he could do it, it is in Golden State. But I'm just a little skeptical, just like with the Iguodala trade. Couldn't agree more with what you were alluding to with Wiggins. Very talented, lot of athleticism. It's just someone's got a lot of fire under him. And as you mentioned, I don't know if there's any better group of players and coaches than Steve Kerr, Draymond Green, and guys who have experienced success. They know what it takes to get there. If they can just plug him in and get him to work, he is going to be scary. And I actually, after that trade went down, I went back and was watching Andrew Wiggins' high school mixtapes because when I was younger at the time, it was the most impressive five-minute stretch of athleticism I've ever seen on any sort of screen. So if you have a chance to go back and watch his high school mixtapes, I'd say the only difference between what you see in those mixtapes and now is this passion and fire that's under him. It seems like he wants to beat people. It seems like he has a little bit more of the Mamba mentality in those highlights. And now it's kind of been drained out of him or something. I don't know what's happened, but can he be reinvigorated? Because if he can, he's a 6'8 high flyer that when he wants to, can defend, and when he works at it, can shoot. I think that he could, I'll reference this later in the show, but I think he could be potentially a great fit there. But we'll move forward to the fourth trade. And this one shocked me more than any of these because it involved my favorite team. But the Cavs, for some reason, traded for Andre Drummond, and Detroit received John Henson, Brandon Knight, and a 2023 second-round pick. Team, what were your initial thoughts on this trade? I was surprised because Andrew, I mean, Andre Drummond can opt out and be a free agent after this. And I think he's going to be looking for some serious money. But honestly, I don't know. I'm very, very skeptical of this trade. I don't want to crush your team too much for this decision. But with the way the league is going with smaller players and not a lot of paint dominating centers, I'm not sure how... This trade will help them, but I'm sure they have some sort of vision. But this trade just kind of confuses me. I, I'm sure you have more thoughts about it than than uh, I do. Yeah, I'm, I'm still pretty perplexed, but I thought Bobby Marks kind of painted the, the I guess, best half glass full picture of this trade. And that is the Cavs are 
treating this like they're leasing a fancy car. So they're kind of testing out for the next three months, you know, how will this very talented and athletic big fit along our young cards and a lot of our young players. Is it someone that long-term, is there going to be a spark? Now, obviously, that would have to also be on Drummond then because he is restricted for agent after this season, and it's a player option. So it's up to him, really, if he wants to pick up that $28 million option or not. So I, I don't know. I, it, I, I'm like, but when Bobby Marks explained it like that today, it made a little bit of a fraction of an ounce of sense, as opposed to absolutely no sense. But I, I really, like, I, I'm, I'm confused. I guess the other silver lining is, all due respect to Brandon John Henson, they are not anywhere near the player that Andre Drummond is. So, objectively, they didn't give up a whole lot to get him. But I guess that also kind of makes sense as far as leasing a car for virtually free. So, uh, we'll, we'll just see what happens. I don't know. I, the other thing is, I thought that they were going to be buying out Tristan Thompson with this. I thought that was them kind of replacing that front court player with that, but they're not. And they also have Larry Dan and obviously Kevin Love. So I don't know what their lineup is going to look like. It doesn't make any sense to me. Like, it's who's coming off the bench. Kevin Love's not going to play a three, is he? Like, I, I really reflect also the Cavs need to stay in the top ten of the draft to keep that pick. So there's no reason to just all of a sudden run up the table to come in ninth. So I really don't know what's going on. But we can move forward before I become even more confused and perplexed. So the final blockbuster trade of these five that we're rolling through it came through, according to Woj, about nine minutes before the trade deadline. The Clippers received Marcus Morris and Isaiah Thomas, who apparently is going to be waived by the Clippers. Uh, we'll, we'll see what happens there. Uh, the Knicks actually might have made a decent trade here. They received Mo Harkless, 2020 first-round pick, 2021 first-round pick, Swap, and a 2021 second-round pick. They also got rights to the 2018 second-round pick, Yusuf Sanat. And additionally, the Washington Wizards received Jerome Robinson. Timor, what are your thoughts here in this fifth trade? I I feel bad for Isaiah Thomas after the way the Celtics did him bad. I I wish I wish he could find some success because the Celtics really did him dirty uh, with the way they kind of handled things with his injury. And I I'm, I'm rooting for him, but we'll see what happens with him. Obviously, the Clippers are aiming to makes to the finals and win with this trade with Marcus Morris being an important bench guy for them. I am not sure how this will work out. When I watched him on the Celtics, there were moments where he was really good for us uh, with his offense, and there were other moments where he would take a big shot, and I was kind of cringing, hoping that it would be Tatum or Brown instead. But, yeah, I think this is a decent trade for the Clippers. I mean, the Clippers are in an interesting spot. They haven't really played together all that much, so we'll see what happens when they come to the playoffs without that unified experience, and this just throws another monkey wrench into it, but those are my overall thoughts. Yeah, I, I'm curious to see how Marcus Morris fits in. Will he be content being a role player? Because if he tries to be a little bit too much of an alpha dog, where you have guys that need the ball like Lou Williams and Paul George, and obviously Kawhi in many aspects needs the ball. I mean, he affects the game at all in all aspects of the game, but he will need the ball at some point. So, can Marcus Morris be a role player? Can he be more of a catch and shoot guy? Can he spread the floor and defend, be hard nosed, and bring more toughness to them? Because if he can't just be that and he, and he needs the ball, there might be some chemistry issues. I don't know. It'll be something to keep a pulse on. But those are our reactions to the big, the big five trades. 
Now, Timor, did you want to transition us into a, a fun little segment we have? Absolutely. Thanks for hosting there for a minute, going over all those trades. We are going to go through our segment. We found a name. You're going to have to let us know if you think it's a good one. We're going to do Spice Fights. The topic for today's fight is the NBA trade deadline. Perfect topic for the perfect day. Liam, what is your bell pepper spice take? Yeah, so this one is not too spicy. It's not too hot. You don't need any milk or bread to cool off what I'm about to say here. But it's all, it's all apparent. You know, the dawn of the small ball center has arrived. We saw it with the Warriors running Draymond. It's something that is prevalent. But I think as we see now, especially with what the Rockets are kind of gambling with potentially now, that this is going to be the peak of that from what, from what we're getting with Zion. And they, he, he looked very good tonight against the Bulls. But Zion is a 6'6 small ball center. P.J. Tucker is a 6'5 small ball center. I think these next few years, we're going to start to see teams move more and more to that. And this will be kind of the peak of that these five years. Now, in 2027... Is the big man, old school center, going to come back? I I kind of hope so in some ways, but may, may, maybe. But I think the next few years, it's going to be focused on small ball, running up and down, lots of threes and dunks and early shots. I think that's what the focus is going to be. So not much of a hot take, but bell pepper take. Okay, yeah, I can see it. That's that is a good that's a good opinion. And obviously, once once it swings too far then maybe, as you said, we'll be able to see the big guys come back into the game and be able to dominate the paint as people prefer that brand of basketball. All right, my bell pepper take for this round is that the NBA transactions have the most social media impact and drive the most interest of any league. So if you look at trades, free agency movement, all of that put together, the NBA has the most interesting version of that everyone's plugged into it everyone cares about it and i would even argue uh, that some people care about those transactions more than the actual games maybe my take is getting a little too spicy now i went off the rails a bit but that is how i feel twitter must love this time of the year when the nba is popping off and hashtag this league that is my mild take now second round we got the habanero rounds. Liam, what is your habanero opinion here? It is that Woj and Sam's, who are just Twitter gods and really social media gods, they're so well-connected. I don't even know how. I'm very curious. I'd love to be a fly on the wall, though I guess it wouldn't really be a wall. It'd be a fly in its phone that somehow it's keeping a pulse and everything because... They are so influential when they drop a bomb of new information and news that just reverberates and has a ripple effect unlike anything. I think it's more influential and has a bigger domino effect on young America and young American sports. Well, definitely young American sports, but young America than our, uh, as some would say, fearless leader uh, does, the, the orange guy. Yeah, I think that they have more of a direct impact on young people's day-to-day lives, especially during the basketball season. Actually, you know what? There's free agency out of season. So just in general, during the 12-month calendar, Bojan's champs are that influential. How many 
How many people have notifications turned on for Woj, you think? Do you think it's a it's a requirement once you follow him? You just have to because if you miss out, you're going to not be able to drop the knowledge on your friends at a bar? Yeah, I mean, I highly recommend it if you don't. I, I turned on his Twitter notifications, and I am up to date on everything. I'm, I'm ahead of things almost. So highly recommend. All right. My habanero opinion is that the Knicks, the incompetent Knicks, are making good moves. How is that possible? Well, that is why we are in the habanero round. Mo Harkless is a good young player, and the Knicks are getting some picks to help build their young roster around R.J. Barrett and Frankie Smokes. The Knicks have been so bad and un irrelevant for so long they haven't had a decent playoff run and this is the start of maybe a new leaf in new york i might not i'm not gonna go that far because that would be a beyond a trinidad scorpion take that the knicks are back but they're making some good movements and they're going in the right direction finally all right final rounds this is the time where we're throwing haymakers trinidad scorpion Liam, what do you say? Yes, this one's incredibly, incredibly spicy. I think everyone might need to put their seatbelts on and pull out a gallon of milk because this might even be borderline, like, shocking. But today, with with the Andrew Wiggins trade, I think he is going to be moving to an environment that he will, and it kind of pains me to say this as a Cavs fan, but prospering Golden State, I think he will shatter expectations. I saw today on, I believe it was Bleacher Report, they were grading the trade, and they gave Golden State a D- minus for their trade for Andrew Wiggins today. I think that they're going to eat those words. I think Andrew Wiggins is going to prosper, and there's a reason that this is a Trinidad Scorpion take. I think he is going to have a great career in Golden State, and wow, I don't even know if I can say that out loud. I think he's going to grow into a Hall of Famer. Oh my goodness. I I don't even think I I just got knocked out. The ref's counting to ten. I don't think I could get back up. I don't think it's even worth me trying to to put put out a measly take. Wow. Unbelievable. I whew. how many rings? Yeah, I think I lost my voice. <laughs> I don't even know. Alright. Mine's a silly one. I can't even all right, here's mine. I think that Woj and Shams should just start dropping fake trades on Twitter and just cause absolute pandemonium and chaos. I think that the NBA transactions is too linear. You know, you see a tweet from Woj and you're like, wow, he knows his stuff. This is happening. But you know what Woj should do? He should throw a monkey wrench into everyone's day and put a JK at the end of the tweet. So at the very headline, when you click on it, it'll say Giannis traded for, I don't know, uh, peanuts and a bag of chips. And then 20 dots and the final two characters are a JK. I think that would add so much entertainment value when it's everyone getting that push notification and thinking, wow, this can't be real. And then they realize it's not real. You got pranked. Woj prank. <laughs> it would be a serious Woj bomb. 
literal because it would be killing people. But I love it. I have a question for you, Seymour. Yeah. If he could drop a fake trade or fake transaction right now that's like semi-realistic, what what is one that you think would cause a ripple effect that would be like, what? But also it's kind of realistic. Semi-realistic? Yeah. Is there one that comes to mind? I mean, this isn't even this isn't realistic, but this is the first thing that comes to the head. Breaking news: Woj bomb. The Brooklyn Nets have traded Kyrie Irving to the Golden State Warriors for Steph Curry. <laughs> that would never happen, but that would be pretty funny if that was that was the headline. Do you do you, do you have any that you could think That'd of? That'd be interesting because it would be Steph right back to KD. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Liam, I will concede defeat in our spice fight. You have won the round. There's no real winners or losers. It's just giving our opinions, but that was a hot take you had. With more NBA, the all-star teams were selected. LeBron and Giannis made their picks. LeBron's going to wear the number two jersey to honor Gianna Bryant and Giannis. Oh, is it the whole team will wear number two? Oh, okay, I get it. Yeah, the, the whole team, yeah. So the whole team will be wearing number two to honor Gianna Bryant, and Team Giannis will wear all wear 24 to honor Kobe. Now, this, I don't know if they did this on purpose. You're going to have to explain this one to me. But LeBron, he picked every single Western All-Star, and Giannis picked every Eastern All-Star. And then on the bench... They each had three from the other conference, so LeBron got Ben Simmons, Jason Tatum, and Sabonis, where Giannis got Gobert, Ingram, and Donovan Mitchell. Basically, we're back to the place where it's East versus West that everyone hated. I I wonder if this is on purpose. What do you think of this? Yeah, I honestly, like, hot take would be that they inspired to do East versus West. I mean, so I, I watched their draft of just the starters. So when LeBron picked AD, makes sense, their teammates, he had the first pick. Giannis picked Embiid, I guess I could see it. I mean, Kawhi was on the board, but I mean, Embiid the force, he, he can guard Anthony Davis. That was his reasoning for taking him. LeBron takes Kawhi, that makes sense, three LA guys, okay. Now, it goes back to Giannis, he takes Siakam. Alright, I guess, you know, he's a long athletic guy, also matches up with Kawhi, makes sense. LeBron takes Luka, okay. And then, here's where it gets interesting. In the sixth pick, Giannis is between Kemba, Trey, and James Harden. And I think there's an argument to be made for picking Kemba over the other two. He's had a great year, and he's a great competitor. But Giannis says out loud, hmm, I'm between Kemba and Trey. And immediately, I think it was Charles Barkley goes, why are you, why are you not considering James Harden? And he goes, he being Giannis goes, Oh, I want someone that can pass the ball. <laughs> so I don't know if that was just a joke or a shot at Dogs. James Harden. But uh, then he went Kemba, and then James Harden went to LeBron, and Trey Young to Giannis. So it was literally East versus West, and I don't know. I We talked about a couple podcasts ago how if there was an MVP, MVP vote right now, the top six vote getters would probably be Giannis and then the five West starters. So just looking at it by that, you have to think that the West team has to be a little bit more favored, but 
I don't know. It's interesting. Yeah, I was surprised. I didn't even. I didn't think a single East starter would be picked until after the entire West starters. So I'm not sure what Giannis was thinking, but maybe they just see those guys more. So that's who they pick. I don't know. Interesting stuff. All right. Yeah, they could feel an allegiance to them. That's a good point. We are going to go to everyone's favorite segment. It's time for beer of the week. Liam, I'm going to go first because you've written an essay about your beer. You basically wrote a tale of two cities. <laughs> my my beer. Four which, score. <laughs> yes, four score and six brews in the past. This was my beer of choice during the Super Bowl. I had the Sierra Nevada Pale Ale, which is 5.6% and has a 38 bitterness rating so it's low on the bitterness scale now i never had this before this was a risky choice by me you know i you, if you're going for a beer on super bowl you kind of want something you know is good but i said you know what i'm gonna i'm gonna take a leap of faith i'm gonna go with the sierra nevada it looks good it was slightly bitter and it was a medium tasting beer so it's not like a Budweiser where you can just down it in five seconds and you didn't even know you drank alcohol. But it's also not as intense as an IPA where you can really taste the hops in the beer. It was very good. It was flavorful. And it's something that you would enjoy sipping. And it has a great flavor that doesn't overpower you. So I really like this. This is a good beer to enjoy if you're looking for a pale ale and you're not looking for something as strong as an IPA. A little bit about Sierra Nevada. It started in a hand-built brew house in 1980, according to their website. And that year, they developed their signature pale ale. It's from Chico, California, and it's 100% family-owned, so it's still considered a craft brewing company. I liked it a lot. I think if, if you like pale ales and you want a little bit of hop, then this is a good one for you. Liam, what was your beer that you chose to highlight for us this week? So I went with Lagunitas. A quick little something before I get into my beer of the week. Kind of a funny nugget when I was reading a little bit about Lagunitas. So a few years back, Lagunitas actually brought up a lawsuit to Sierra, to Sierra Nevada for the font that they were using on their IPA bottle. Lagunitas later decided not to go through with it. But our two beers of the week almost had a war, I guess which is kind of funny. But my beer of the week is Lagunitas Little Something Something. It is awesome. So it's 7.5% alcohol JDV. It's 64.2 on the IBU bitterness. So it is a little bit more bitter than Timor's Sierra Nevada Pale Ale. Uh, it is a little boozier as well. Um, but I like it for a number of reasons. So it is an American pale wheat ale, which is kind of a cool and unique, almost original combination. This beer does cater to a wide range of beer drinkers. It is subtle, but also has these kind of satisfying bursts of hops that IPA lovers can enjoy, but it's also smooth enough and light enough that fans of wheat beer or fans of just something a little lighter and less bitter in general, uh, they can also enjoy it too. So it caters to really all ends of, all ends of the spectrum. I also think it's kind of a perfect summer beer because it's a little bit hoppy, but it's also kind of light and weedy at the same time. It is also good year-round. I had this for the first time last summer, right before my cousin got married, and it was perfect for the occasion. Honestly, it is my favorite non-dark beer that I drink consistently. I love it. I gave it a 4 out of 5 on the untapped scale. Uh, I highly recommend it. Must, must try. 
Lagunitas that was founded in 1993 in Lagunitas, California. It is growing to become a company that produces and distributes globally, actually. So a little bit of history on that. So September 8, 2015, Heineken bought a 50% stake in Lagunitas. Because of this, unfortunately, Lagunitas was no longer considered a craft brewery in the eyes of the Brewers Association. And then actually on May 4, 2017, Heineken then went on to purchase the rest of Lagunitas and is now the sole owner. Currently, Lagunitas has three tap rooms, one in Petaluma, California, one in Chicago, Illinois, and one in Seattle, Washington. I actually was at the Seattle one this past summer. It is awesome. Highly recommend. Granted, it was the summer, so the weather was fine and people were all outdoors, but I have never seen so many dogs at a brewery. As I walked up to the brewery with my cousin, to the front patio, Every single picnic table had at least two or three dogs sitting under it. And for me, someone that loves dogs, it just warms my heart. So I highly recommend Lagunitas and visiting all of their tap rooms at some point soon. Oh, that just made me thirsty for it. I'm going to have to try that. All right. That is everything that we had planned for the show. Liam, anything you want to touch on, anything you want to hit on before we uh, sign off to the people? I guess one one last thing to mention, obviously football has come to an unfortunate close, but one thing that we probably won't watch, but maybe someone wants to keep tabs on it, is the XFL kicks off on Saturday. Um, just curious to see what the public perception of that is and how it does with TV ratings. That'll be an interesting thing to follow. Yeah, it's... It's something that can maybe be a placebo for football, but can't 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 get rid of the NFL. So well, it'll be interesting, and especially with their new rules, we'll see how people react to the new rules put in place and how that goes. All right, that is everything we have today. Thank you guys for listening to us. Feel free to email us at the T and Lee podcast at gmail.com. I will put the link in the description. If you have any suggestions, feedback, or ideas, shoot us an email. But from Liam and Timor, have a good night.